Today's reading is from Genesis 32, 22-32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you again, Chris. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Scott, and along with Casey, I'm one of the pastors here, along with several others, and um, it's my privilege to explain a little bit of the text that was just read to us this morning. We're actually starting a new summer series today. Uh, It's called The Battle Within, Finding Strength in Weakness, and uh, we're going to kick off this series by talking a little bit about wrestling. So I did a a search on Amazon this morning and discovered that there are over one and a half million books uh, available under the subjects religion and spirituality. And if, if if you sort of scroll through the top sellers in religion and spirituality, you'll, you'll, you'll very quickly sort of start to ascertain uh, how we in the West, uh, particularly those of us who are privileged enough to be able to buy books and to shop for books with a computer, uh, think about spirituality. Did you get the sense that, that what we're, most of us are seeking when we're seeking spirituality is equilibrium? sort of a a solid, integrated inner core. But what happens with Jacob when he encounters God is he gets knocked off balance and disoriented rather than oriented. Another thing you'll see as you scroll through the book descriptions is that people are seeking rest and are looking to spirituality and religion for rest. But what you see in Jacob is insomnia. And you also see that, that, that we in the West are seeking comfort from spirituality and religion, but what we see in Jacob when he encounters God is a, disloaded, is a dislocated hip and a limp that he's stuck with for the rest of his life. And so, uh, I think the, the German theologian Rudolf Otto was, was, was very, very accurate uh, as he took a look at the different encounters that took place with God in the Scriptures 
and concluded this, when people came into the presence of the divine, their experience was disturbing, perilous, traumatic, and dangerous. And so here in Genesis 32, we have a very similar picture of true spirituality when Jacob, the Jewish patriarch, the father of all of Israel, whose family we have been grafted into by faith in Jesus Christ, fights with God, and God cripples him, and it changes his life. This Jacob event for me, and I hope for you, is actually very helpful because it indicates for those of us who are wrestlers that wrestling can actually be a sign of spiritual vitality, a sign that God is near rather than distant, pursuing us rather than ignoring us. And so, I'd like to look at the Jacob account from, from three different angles. First, wrestling with ourselves, then wrestling with God, and then finally, who is this other wrestler in this picture? So, wrestling with the self. If we look at verse 24, it says that Jacob is left by himself to wrestle in the dark. So, you might call this Jacob's dark night of the soul. And why is he having a dark night? This dark night is actually really just a continuation of the darkness he's experienced ever since the day he was born, which was also the day that his father named him Liar. That's what the name Jacob means, deceiver. Imagine growing up knowing that your father named you that. I'm going to start with a malediction, not a benediction. I'm going to start with shaming and scolding, not the voice of my favor, all the way from the beginning of his life. And so he's haunted all of his life. Because all of his life, he's been searching for that good word, for that benediction, for that blessing from his father, for that authoritative voice that is both strong and tender that says, you, my son, are okay. With you, I am well pleased. You are noticed. You are loved. You matter. You have value. Jacob has been missing this voice all of his life. He was one of two sons, and it becomes very clear as he and his older brother Esau are growing up that he, Jacob, ever since he was a young boy, was his father's second favorite son. And he lived with the pain of this all of his upbringing. Isaac loved Esau the best. He doted on him. He favored him. And this wounded Jacob. And so, fast forward to later on in Isaac's life, and then the, the, the boys are approaching adulthood, and Isaac, the father, is old and he's blind. He's visually impaired. He can't see. And so, what Jacob does, he's so desperate to get his father's blessing that he poses as his older brother. He poses as Esau and goes in to his blind father and says, it is I, Esau, will you please give me the blessing of the firstborn. And then under false pretense, Jacob receives the blessing that doesn't belong to him, but belongs to his brother, and his father gives it. Now, of course, you know, you, you think about this logically, of course he's going to be found out very soon because the next conversation that Esau 
and the, fa- and the father Isaac have is going to be about this blessing, right? He's going to be found out before too long. And then more shame is going to be piled on the shame that he's received all of his life. So why does he do it? Why does he set himself up for further shaming? Because he'll take what he can get. He'll take whatever he can get. You know, Tim Keller calls this history's first recorded case of identity theft. But his motive, even if it's on the basis of a lie, even if it's attained through manipulative tactics and deceit, his motive is to hear his father say just one time, you're good. Every child craves this parental blessing. I've told, with, told you before, shared a little bit of a, of a story about one of our daughters when she was six years old and she was just learning how to read. And remember me telling you this? And, and, and one day she asked me to watch her read silently. You know, what, why, why do children want, even need, and crave so much for their parents to watch them? It wasn't so that I could see that she could read. She knew that I already knew that she was starting to learn to read. She wanted to hear some applause. She wanted to hear, well done. She wanted to hear, you're good. She wanted a strong, authoritative voice telling her she is okay. And that she's not only loved, she is liked. And if we don't get this affirmation from dad or from mom most of us will end up chasing that affirmation elsewhere. Authority figures, friend groups, the opposite sex, social media, the pursuit of fame, making a name for ourselves. We medicate our insecurities. We medicate that part of us that's so desperate to hear the blessing. You know, Ellen DeGeneres talks about how she has and it's really an imaginary, uh, but she has an approval patch, which she says works for her a lot like a nicotine patch. I leave it on my arm so that it will release small doses of approval, and I can't rip it off until the craving stops. She's really tapping into the Jacob story here, maybe without even realizing it. She's tapping into the story of fallen humanity, that we are all trying somehow to medicate ourselves, to, 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 to latch ourselves on to something that will drip approval into us. Even if it's a toxin, if it feels like approval, we'll take it if it's all that we can get. And so, when Isaac finds out that Jacob has deceived him. Jacob then becomes an exile. He becomes a refugee from his own family, and he runs off into the wilderness, takes his family with him and his, you know, resources, what he had falsely inherited, um, you know, through pretense, um, and he's gone. He's been banished from his family. And so, the next thing he might, you might say, he looks to is romance or his ideal of what family should be and of what marriage should be. 
Because at the beginning, he's married to one very loyal, very faithful, as far as we can tell, very kind woman, a very humble woman named Leah. But he later says to himself, which is what he'd said to himself all along, really, if only I could have the younger sister, the younger model, the prettier model than Leah, then I would be okay. And so what he does is he adds Rachel so that he is now married, it says right here in the text, he takes his two wives. He's married not just to Leah, but now also to Rachel, and, and, and he thinks this is going to be the answer to his dreams, right? But, but what, it hap- what happens is that it poisons the family system, just like every case of polyamorous love, every case of polygamy in, in the Bible or any, anywhere in history, it leads to a poisoned family system. So then he has the opportunity to chase after money and status and the, the illusion of control that can come along with money and status. The illusion that you can buy yourself out of precarious situations if you only have enough. And so at this point in time, he's loaded, Jacob is. And he hears from somebody that his brother is coming, his brother Esau, whose birthright he had stolen, is coming to him with 400 other men. And of course, he's feeling threatened. He's feeling afraid because the last interaction they had was, you stole my birthright. Boom, I'm gone. Refugee. And so what does he do? He sends his servants ahead with 50% of his wealth and tells his servants, offer this 50% of my wealth, and he's loaded, remember, to Esau. Make peace with him. Or it better said, keep peace with him. Why does he send the gift? Because he's afraid. But, but, but literally, if you, if you look at the language in verse 20, it says, send all of these resources ahead to Esau that I may appease him. This is what parents do dysfunctionally with our children. Instead of apologizing, appeasing with money, with stuff, with opportunities, clothing, with cars, with luxuries, anything to manipulate the situation so that we don't have to humble ourselves and say those two magic, powerful words, I am sorry. And then those words that follow that, will you forgive me? And then the words that follow that, help me help you trust me again. No, instead he throws money at his brother. The appropriate response biblically would have been this, we never get this confession from Jacob. This should have been the confession. Brother, I stole what belonged to you. And that should have been followed with, will you forgive me? Which should have been followed with full restitution of what was due to his brother. What did the firstborn get in those days? What was the firstborn entitled to? Two-thirds. 66.6666667% but all that Jacob sends ahead is 50%. So what you've got here is a man who is using money not as a resource with which to repent and, 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 and obey the God that he says that he serves fully, but to only partially obey, which isn't to obey, obey at all. When the real motive is his own safety, when his real motive is control. 
And so he sends 50% instead of two-thirds. Jacob is the picture of what we could call the nominal Christian, the one who gives lip service to God, the one who attends service every week, who might even read the Bible every day, but who, like King Saul, has an obedience which is partial and an intent to obey which is partial, which is no obedience at all. It's control, not obedience. It's holding on to my life rather than relinquishing my life to the God who created me. He lives, in other words, like a functional atheist. His trust is not in God, but in His resources. And in many ways, He's reflective of that magnificent song and that truth-telling song about all of us from Bono and U2, where there's a statement of orthodox belief and then a statement of wrestling with the self. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In other words, this is not enough. There's something else. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So he's wrestling with himself, but he's also wrestling God with God, which is actually the one and only cure to this life of wrestling with the self and chasing after and plugging our umbilical cords into all these different things, looking at all these different things to be our daddy instead of looking to our daddy to be our daddy to give us the paternal blessing that only He can give. Verse 24, Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, if if you've ever been a wrestler, you know that three minutes on the mat, just three minutes on the mat with another human being will exhaust you for the rest of the evening, and and it'll be a two- or three-day recovery. You know, I just read an article two or three days ago, and it has to be true because it was on the Internet. And and, and this, this article said that three minutes of rigorous, hardcore, sprinting exercise is just as good for your body as 40 minutes of moderate walking. And again, it has to be true because it was on the internet. But here we have Jacob wrestling with somebody in a far bigger weight class until daybreak, all night long, And then the man finally says to him, uncle, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's no longer thinking about the blessing of Isaac. He lost that long, long ago, or the blessing of Esau, or the blessing of being married to multiple women and having the family that he always dreamed of. How's that working out for you, Jacob? Having the kind of spouse that he always dreamed of, how's that working out for you? Not very well. Having all the money that, that, that anyone could ever dream of, not working. And so, so he's looking for the blessing from his father with a capital F. Weary of fighting with himself all of his life, he would rather fight with God. He would rather, and, and if you've been depressed, you've been here. There are basically two options that he's holding out to, 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 to the person that he's wrestling with, to the angel of the Lord either bless me or kill me. Those are the only two options. If you've been depressed, you know that prayer. You've prayed that prayer. Either bless me, heal me, or let's just finish this. And on the ground, on the brink of death, with a broken socket in his hip, 
Jacob finally finds what he's been looking for. And there's a process that's required of Jacob in order to find what he's looking for. And the first part of that process is to loosen his grip. On what? On the voice that says you have significance if you can get the girl of your dreams. If you can have Rachel right there as eye candy, right beside you. If you can get the wife that you want instead of the wife that you have. It's a lie. Or you can have significance if you have enough cash to control your situation. Or if you get noticed by a big shot like Isaac, the son of Abraham. You know, this is one of the things that is both fun and dangerous about Nashville. Um, you know, Nashville is referred to, you've heard it before if you've been around here f- for a while, as the little big town, right? Uh, because up to now, it won't be this way for long, but Nashville has been sort of a small to mid-sized city, and it, it's, it's not going to be that for much longer because of the growth. But, but, but we've been referred to as a city as the little big town because it's a little town with a bunch of big shots. The arts government, higher education, Silicon Valley of healthcare. I mean, you name it. There are all kinds of important people of note here. Old money, new money. It's all there with an upward trajectory. And and, and in all likelihood, if, if you spend more than a year or two in Nashville, you will find yourself either on the periphery of or in the center of some community that includes people of note. And that's fun because you get to see and hear how the other side lives up close. But it's also very dangerous because it's terribly easy to get an ego kick out of it. To think, I must be important because of my proximity to this important person and this important person and this important person who knows my name. Oh my goodness, they called me Scott. Somebody told them about me. Ooh, oh my goodness. Ooh, I got an email from them. So I love the, look, this is so grounding. We're going to all be dead in a hundred years, including the people whose names that we like to drop. We're going to be gone just for a little bit of perspective. So, so somebody sent me a link to a, an interview that Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor, theologian, sort of spiritual guru, um, translator of this, um, you know, version of the Bible called The Message, very popular. And uh, Eugene Peterson did an interview about his, uh, the beginning of his relationship with Bono, who's the, the front man for U2, right? The famous rock band. And the interviewer said, you know, long ago, some time ago, when you were translating the book of Isaiah, Bono reached out to you and asked for a meeting, and you said no. And I'm curious, Eugene Peterson, you are probably the first person who's ever said no to a meeting request from Bono. I mean, this is Bono for Pete's sake. And, and Eugene Peterson looks back at the interviewer and says, well, this is Isaiah for Pete's sake. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have such an inner core, to be so secure that, that, that we were completely free from any need to be noticed, to make a name for ourselves, to find significance through achievement, to be told that we are special 
by a counterfeit daddy. Because we already have been told we're special by the real one, by Abba with a capital A, by Papa with a capital P, by Daddy with a, the capital D. So, so we've got to loosen our grips on all of those voices that do not come from Jesus. The voice that says it's this, not Jesus, that names you, that makes you important, that gives you your blessing. But in order to loosen our grip on that voice, we've got to tighten our grip on another voice. And that's precisely what Jacob does. In verse 25, Jacob says to God, I will not let you go. He doesn't say, I won't let my daddy go. I won't let Isaac go. He doesn't say, I won't let my money go. He doesn't say, I won't let you know, my beautiful young second wife go. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, I will not let you go. And that's the moment that his relationship with Esau and, and with Isaac and with Leah and Rebecca, as complicated as all that is, and their children and his money all got a little bit better. Aim at heaven, Lewis says, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. He finds what he's looking for when he says, God, I will not let you go. He finds what he's looking for. And, and the thing that he found on the ground is the same thing that Eugene Peterson had when he chose an encounter with Isaiah over an encounter with Bono. When he chose to be famous in the eyes of heaven over being famous or an opportunity to be famous or more famous in the eyes of the world. And what's pretty crazy about that is Eugene Peterson has become pretty stinking famous. But the beauty of it is, it's not what he cares about. It's not what he hangs his hat on. It says that the sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel. Peniel means the face of God. It's synonymous with the glory of God, the weight of God. What the Hebrew tells us, the, 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 the treasure that the, the, that the original Hebrew gives us is this. When the face of God becomes the source of our identity and the source of our blessing instead of the things that can come to us from the hand of God. When we start looking first for His face instead of looking first for what can come to us from His hand. That's when everything changes. And it's better to, to, to move forward in life with the face of God and a limp than it is to move forward in life with only things that come from the hand of God because he gives generously to everybody, but without his face. When we encounter God's face truly, our craving for significance from lesser things begins to vaporize. But then the last thing Jacob needs to do is get up and move forward with what we are calling this morning a victorious Limp. It says in verse 25, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip became wrenched. It cripples him for life. But in the crippling, he's also given a new name. Remember, his father named him Deceiver. It's probably very hard to get a date with a name like that. Hi, my name's Liar. What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? It's, it just doesn't, doesn't work. But after wrestling with God, his name is changed to Israel, which means he wrestled 
He wrestles with God. That's who I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with somebody who's been in a wrestling match with the one who created the galaxies by breathing and prevailed. That's who I want to meet. Whether it makes me famous in your eyes or anybody else's eyes or not. That's where I want my blessing, or that's where I want to want to want my blessing on those days where I am deceived and and start believing the voice that doesn't come from Jesus, which is pretty much every day. He finds what he's looking for, and he becomes the father of all nations with an everlasting name. He's right there in the Gospels. He's right there in the family tree, in the genealogy of Jesus. He is an ancestor to the king of kings. It's as if to say, Jacob, dear Jacob, Israel, dear Dear Israel, the name of Isaac, the name of your father with a lowercase f, is too small a name to carry you through this life. He's going to be dead in a hundred years. Then what are you going to do? And even now, he can't give you fully what you're looking for. No matter how many paternal blessings he pronounces over you, it's the father with a capital F who can give you what you're looking for. This is the other wrestler we're talking about. Who is Jacob's opponent? The Hebrew here literally says that the other wrestler touches Jacob, touches him, taps him. So again, if you've wrestled, uh, you know that it's a perilous thing to, to wrestle against somebody who's two or three weight classes above you because you know, the sheer size and strength of that person is likely to pin you pretty quick. But, but, but this is like, I mean, you're thinking, you're, you're, we're talking the creator of galaxies here against little Jacob. It, it's, it's like you and me standing over an ant. The ant has no chance. I mean, all it takes is burning maybe a half of a calorie or maybe even a tenth of a calorie and just going boop. And when we just go boop, the ant goes splat, and the ant's little soul travels to wherever ants go. And yet here, the wrestler, God himself could not overpower Jacob. What's that all about? It's the same thing that was happening in Philippians 2. God is holding back His omnipotence. God is holding back His utter and complete ability to crush and destroy without barely lifting a finger. But instead, just as Jesus did in Philippians 2, He held back. Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, made Himself a wrestler on the ground and humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Do do we see this? Do we see who Jacob really represents here in the end? It's Jesus, the firstborn son, who lost the blessing of his father so that liars, so that liars will receive the blessing and be given a new name and receive the words from our Father with a capital F, well done, my good and faithful servant, not because of your righteousness and goodness, but because of His. The one who released His grip on everything and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. The one who did not give up 50% or or 66.6666667%, the the entitlement of the firstborn, but who gave up everything, who gave up 100% who let go of it all so that he could cling tightly 
to you and to me. Why would we choose an encounter with Bono when we could have an encounter with Isaiah, who tells us? And I love Bono. Biggest, my daughters will tell you, we had a big argument for like two years. Whose music's going to stand the test of time, Bono or Miley Cyrus? I've already won. Why would we choose to hang our hat on? Look, Bono calls me, I'm going. But why would we choose to hang our hat on encounters with Bono when we've got an encounter like this? As the bridegroom, this is Isaiah 62.5, as the bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so the Lord your God rejoices over you. And here's a table that proves it. This is a table that doesn't invite you to its periphery. It's a table that invites you to it as the bride to the bridegroom. And what could be better than that? What pronouncement could be better than that? Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this table. Thank you that all are welcomed who have helplessly received the waters of baptism for cleansing and who have been graciously received into the church of Jesus Christ and whose desire and intent is to get up from the wrestling mat and move forward even as we limp with you, renouncing sin, receiving your forgiveness when we fail to do so, and following Jesus. Father, thank you that this is a time of being welcomed. It's also a time for community. It's a time for us to enjoy conversation and pronounce blessings to one another and receive blessings from one another. Father, give us a true feast experience in these next moments. And we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. By the way, friends, there will also, during the supper, be men and women to my left and to my right available to pray with anybody who asks them about anything that you'd like to be prayed with and for about.